a preacher can add to the story of the passion. It stands on its own in power and pathos, and one has to have a very cold heart indeed to not be moved by it. I can't possibly add to this story. It is, of course, the greatest story ever told. But I do hope to inspire you to spend some time this week in contemplation of it, besides just this morning, to let yourself feel all the feelings that it brings up. And I want to offer a way in to help us do that by looking at three players in this event, two main characters and one who is only a bystander, but each of whom offer a unique window into the story. Pontius Pilate first makes the mistake of agreeing to even hear the case against Jesus when he knows the charges against him are false. As Matthew tells us, it's only out of jealousy that the chief priests have handed Jesus over. After Pilate's wife warns him of Jesus' innocence and that he should pay no part in this travesty, Pilate pleads with the crowd to call for Jesus' release, which they refuse to do. His solution, then, is to wash his hands and proclaim his own innocence, a pretty empty gesture, especially since he then orders Jesus to be flogged right after that. Pilate, confused about his role in these events, puts his energy into appearing guilt-free when what he should have been doing was using his authority to stop the situation altogether. He wants to think of himself as a decent man, the kind who wouldn't participate in the death of an innocent. And because of that, he misses his moment to be a great man and act with courage to stop the wheels of injustice. On Maundy Thursday, we will enact a different ritual of washing than the one that Pilate hoped would cleanse him. Instead of hands, we will wash feet. Instead of our own, we'll wash each other's. Instead of trying to absolve ourselves from responsibility, we will willingly take on responsibility in service to one another. Looking at Pilate's role in the passion helps us contemplate the areas in our lives where we might be blinding ourselves from our responsibilities to those around us. And participating in the foot washing this coming Thursday will give us the chance to recommit ourselves to positive action in service to others. Judas, like Pilate, is also unable to stop what he has set in motion. In slight defense of Judas, he didn't get the idea to betray Jesus all on his own. Although our narrative began today in verse 14 of chapter 26 by saying Judas was looking for the opportunity to betray Jesus, right before that part in verse 4, we are told that the chief priests and elders conspired to arrest Jesus by stealth to kill him. So they were looking for someone to help them out, and Judas allowed himself to be roped into that. But apparently, at least in this version, Judas was not fully clued in to the plot, and he didn't seem to realize that Jesus would be condemned to death. 
So surprisingly, Matthew tells us that Judas actually repents. He even attempts to make reparations by returning the money that he was paid. That is the proper course of action when we realize we've done something wrong. But tragically, Judas is unable to take the next step and ask for forgiveness. How many times had he himself heard Jesus tell someone, your sins are forgiven, go and sin no more. And yet he could not bring himself to ask for that same forgiveness that he had seen others receive. Had he lived, what a powerful testimony he could have told. I betrayed unto death the one who I now proclaim as Lord. And even I, the worst in the worst, even I am forgiven. But rather than seeking comfort in forgiveness, he seeks it instead in forgetting and ends his own life. We'll have a glimpse into that kind of darkness and emptiness at the end of the Maundy Thursday service after the washing of the feet and the Eucharist are all done at the moment of the stripping of the altar. At that time, all the adornments that you see here, the beautiful claws, the vestments, the torches, everything will all be taken out of the sanctuary, including the very sacrament, the real presence of Christ. And we will be left symbolically alone to feel the despair of Jesus' last words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There do come moments in some of our lives when we find ourselves in that depth of despair. For the most part, however, we tend to simply feel buffeted about by life's minor tragedies, little understanding the circumstances that brought us there. Like the centurion at the foot of the cross, watching from the sidelines, terrified, we often feel powerless to control events that we experience. But there is a glimmer of hope in this centurion. For even though he was probably embittered by having to witness and participate in many past crucifixions, he sees something different in this one. And he proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. To enter into the story as the centurion is to enter into Good Friday and the moment of the veneration of the cross. When a wooden cross will be brought forward for us to contemplate, perhaps touch, maybe even kiss, however we are moved. But on Good Friday, like the centurion, we will stand in awe of a God beyond our ability to comprehend and will feel overwhelmed by the sacrifice of love that we witness. Each of these figures has different roles in the story, but each sees Jesus as, at the very least, something more and different and better than the image that they're sold of him by his enemies. We may relate to them in different ways, but unlike them, we have the advantage of knowing how the story really ends. And that means that during Holy Week, we can confront the sadness of this tragedy in all safety and allow ourselves to dig deep into our own souls and touch whatever darkness we may find there. Perhaps the same confusion and avoidance of responsibility that Pilate felt. Perhaps 
the fear and awe that the centurion felt, or perhaps even the despair that Judas felt. I left my faith for several years and spent a lot of that time agnostic, some of that time looking at other religions and philosophies. But the reason I came back to Christianity was because I missed the story. And that's saying a lot when we live in an age where at the touch of a button, we have access to millions of stories. Fact, fiction, comedy, drama, high art or lowbrow. And many of them are meaningful and some of them are true. But this one is the truth. And that's why we come back year after year to hear it. Stories can be powerful, they can be healing. Sometimes stories and the honoring of them are all that we have. In our Anglican tradition, it's important for us to have ways to enter into the story of our faith beyond simply listening. And we eat and drink the bread and wine every week in part to relive this story. And that's why I associated liturgical acts that we participate in during Holy Week with each of these figures because the physical acts that we engage in give us a unique way in to the story. But however you find your way in to the story this week, I hope that you will find a way in. Because the knowledge that God entered history and united with us in our suffering and continues to companion us in our suffering even now is one of the deepest and most powerful mysteries of our faith. We've all experienced suffering, and there's some of us in this very sanctuary suffering in ways that we don't even fully feel that we could share with others. But the power of the passion of Jesus Christ touches our souls in ways beyond our understanding, allowing us to feel sorrow and grief for things we may not even be able to articulate. It gives us catharsis, the ability to experience the feelings that are burdening us and then leave them behind at the foot of the cross to walk forward into the light of the resurrection that we know is on its way. So spend time this week with the story. Let it into your heart and let yourself be touched by the knowledge of a God who loved us enough to suffer everything that we do and more, even unto death knowing that we are loved that much, that is the truth, the gospel of our Lord that we are invited to live into this day and this holy week. May that truth heal us. May it set us free. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.